Welcome to Chicagoland Parenting Stories. I am your host, Lisa Zimmerman. Let's get started with today's parenting story. Welcome to the next episode of Chicagoland Parenting Stories. Today, our guest is Ariel Swift. Ariel is the Outreach and Education Coordinator at the Birth Center of Chicago. The Birth Center of Chicago is located in the North Center neighborhood of Chicago. Today is July 25th, 2023, and this is episode 16. Welcome, Ariel. Hi, I am Ariel Swift, and I am the parent of two children. My oldest is named Harper. Uh, she is 11 and, uh, my spunky son is Milo and he is five and he would want you to know that his birthday is very, very soon. So I was just thinking six. about that. Cause it's the first week of August, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cute. And he's going to be six. He'll be six. He's very excited. And then he's going into first grade this year. First grade. Yes. Wow. Big lots first grader. There are lots of things he's excited to do. Like what? Um, first grade in his mind is when he learns how to read and first grade is when he gets to go on field trips at school. He, uh, both of my children are a part of a, um, a nonprofit private school organization in the Hyde Park neighborhood called the Chicago free school. And they have a free education model, uh, social democratic learning environment. And part of, uh, one of the ways that they teach children is by giving them lots of experience in the Chicago area by taking field trips on public transportation and going to lots of local spots. And um, as a kindergartner, seeing all the kids go on field trips was hard for him, but he's looking forward to that now. Oh, I bet. Plus it's like a little promotion, you know, which is going to kindergarten is a little promotion too, but first grade is too. If you had to describe your parenting style, what would it be? My, (laughs) it seems like such an easy question and I feel like I know too much. I feel like, um, being in the world of birth and working with so many different families, I honestly don't know how to answer that question. I am just trying my absolute best to measure the paradox that it feels like parenting is where I'm just trying to do the best that I can with what I have in the moment that I have it. Also realizing that um, my kids are themselves their own individuals. And so with parenting, it's how can I make sure that I'm taking care of myself and being a good model, but also how can I make sure that I'm not forgetting that they're also having their own experience and trying to help them figure out how to manage that at the same time. It's a tough job. Yeah. I didn't really know what I was signing up for. I don't know if any of us really did. And then you don't know because your kid's the wild card, right? So like, you don't know. And just when you think yes. you have it down and then you have another one and then it's all, you know, it's different all over again. Yes. The the term child temperament wasn't a term that I had really had much experience with until getting into uh, birth work. Um, but it's really the X factor, right? Everyone thinks that they're going to do all of the work and it's going to be fine. And they're going to have all of the stuff. And um, then all of a sudden your child comes into the world and they have different opinions about everything. So Yes, about everything for sure. Without disclosing your age, which generation are you a part of? I'm a part of the generation that still had the mom that was walking around the kitchen with a really, really long phone cord talking to her friends every chance that she got on the weekends. And we'd have to like maneuver around the cord. Um, I'm also a part of the generation that remembers dial up and the sounds of that, mm-hmm. and making mixtapes and 
Um, there are lots of different ways that people describe it, but I feel like we've my gen or the, the portion of my generation I feel most closely related to is the part that's like, wait, it's already 2023. What? Like, I remember when the calendar flipped to 2000 and trying to remember to put the two at the beginning instead of the one. Right. Like I'll be listening to something and I'll hear like, you know, the year 2012 and be like, oh, that was 11 years ago though. And right. Being like, God, that seemed like the future then. Yes, exactly. How is the way that you parent different the way that you were parented then? Um, that's a really good question. I, I actually think that I parent quite similarly to my mom. Um, she had a real talent of letting us figure out what we were curious about and then try to explore it to the best of her ability. And I actually think that that's pretty close to what I'm trying to do with my kids too. Um, I think the biggest difference is I was raised in the middle of the country in Eastern Washington state, and my kids are being raised on the South side of Chicago and obviously a slightly huge different, metropolitan, <laughs> exactly huge <laughs> metropolitan city. Um, so the types of things we talk about with safety and the types of things we talk about with boundaries and just the um, amount of conversations I have with my kids. I don't really remember my mom sitting us down and having conversations implicitly. It it was very much learning through environment, having a regular trip to the library with literal laundry baskets full of books and exploring what we were wanting to do. Lots of play, lots of outdoor um, engagement and I think probably the biggest difference is that just um, sitting down and actually kind of spelling things out for my kids a little bit more in certain situations because there doesn't seem to be as much possibility to give them freedom to physically move as much as we were able to physically move around. Yeah, I've been thinking about this question a lot because like you know, Dylan's going into sixth grade. So he's kind of still at the point and we've moved where like, I still have to set up, you know, they're not called play dates anymore. It's called hangout time now, but I still have to set that up because we haven't given him a phone yet. And so when I'm setting this up with people, I don't know, I constantly have to have asked them the question. Oh, okay, great. And by the way, do you have any unlocked firearms in your house? And they're always like, no, does he have any food allergies? And I'm like, no. And we're like, okay, mm. we're great. But like, I don't remember my mom even having to set up the hangout time. I don't know how we did it. I think we just congregated somehow. I can't, I don't even know how I found my friends at concerts without my phone, but that's a whole nother story. And so it's interesting how much navigation we have in conversations we have to put into that. And he overhears me doing that. And there's a piece of me that's just like, oh, this poor kid. And there's another piece of me that's like, well, at least he knows I'm trying to keep him safe. Yeah. But, and then there's a third piece of me that's just like, and I need him to know that like unlocked firearms are not a safe thing, you know, but you're right. It's some of the things we have to do these days just make everything a little harder. Yes, I agree. And to be honest, like setting up playdates has never been a strength of mine. Even if you talk to my friends, I don't even, I'm not even good at setting up playdates with myself. Like I can't, like the amount of energy 
that's necessary for all of that back and forth. So one of the things that I taught Harper very early on was that if she wanted to spend time with her friends, she would have to facilitate the organizing of the event. So she got very, very good. Well, she memorized my phone number, I think in the second grade so that Mm -hmm. she could start giving it to her friend's parents when she saw them on the playground. And then I would randomly get text messages from people that said, hi, I'm the parent of so-and-so. Harper and whoever has coordinated their events, do these dates and times work for you? Um, And she's continued to do that as she goes now also into sixth grade, which- Are they usually meeting on like a public space though? Because this is like him going to somebody's house. These are, again, I feel like we're in a really unique situation because of the community that we're involved in with my kid's school. Um, There's only about 65 to 70 kids in the entire school. Mm. And- I was on the um, the school board for a while, and I got to know a lot of the families very, very closely. So I have a almost just a, a deeper understanding of the philosophical world that they are walking into. And so, mm-hmm. if they if Harper is planning a play date with someone from school, um, we inherently feel like we already have a level another level of safety that's kind of built into that structure. Well, right. And with such a small community too, you've probably heard the name or you might visually recognize them or something like that. This is like me meeting people that I've never met or I believe you. Yeah. I've never seen. And that's the weird part is like, (laughs) I can't let my child go in your house until we have this conversation, which I'm fine with because I'm like, you know what? I mean, I only have one, so that's it. Like, yeah, I don't mind doing it, but it's, 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 you know, it's not uncomfortable anymore because it just is. I don't know if my husband would do it the same way that I do it. You know what I mean? And we've had several conversations about that. Um, but anyway, can you describe the work that you do for those that may not understand how you help new families? Another hard question. Um, being the outreach and education corner for the birth center of Chicago has come after many, many years of working in birth work in the Chicago community. So I used to operate a doula agency and I have been um, a certified labor doula and postpartum doula. I'm a certified childbirth educator for evidence-based birth. I used to be a doula trainer for a a doula organ, a nationwide doula organization. Um, And all of those things, I didn't necessarily think that they would continue to be a part of my role that I have here, but they absolutely are. It almost feels like I get to be the doula for the birth center of Chicago. So I'm, what I mean by that is, um, being able to take some time and slow down conversations and make sure that people feel like they understand the options that are in front of them that um, everything is very transparent and they're not surprised by things that may come up in the future here at the center. But also I get to help staff here as well. And um, the outreach portion of my job is just starting to take off a little bit more as opposed to the education portion of my job. We're definitely heavy on education. We only opened in 2021, which means that the majority of conversations we were having with people was, well, what is a freestanding birth center? So putting that into language that helps people understand how we're different than home birth, how we're different than hospital 
hospital birth? What does midwifery care actually look like? Who is a good fit for birth center birth? And then also, if this isn't a place where you could physically give birth to your baby, what are the other things here that you might be able to make use of? So things like classes, things like community events, but also um, drop-in clinics or peer-to-peer support groups and things like that. Then the other side of it is I just, I get to create curriculum. I get to write classes that people are asking to have. And being a private childbirth educator for the first seven years, um, the information is always tweaking and changing just a little bit, depending upon what trends are happening and what new evidence comes out. But for the most part, a lot of people don't have a lot of information about the actual mechanics of how a baby is born. And getting to a point where I can teach classes or teach other educators to then teach those classes to give this information in a way that's engaging and appropriate for adult learners and um, feels accessible, but they can also remember what they are learning. Those are all the things that I'm involved in. Um, Other not so sexy things are things like uh, changing branded material and updating the website and um, making sure that everything is flowing the way that it needs to from the technological side of the birth center into the physical side of the birth center. I always consider you as one of the like OGs of the birth center because you were on the ground floor helping build it from the very beginning. But I also consider you as like a touchstone for every client that walks in the door because literally the first thing that they have with you is the tour. And then you're following up from them, you know, from there. And so I do agree that on some level, you are the doula of the birth center in that way that like, not only for the clients, but also for the staff too, of like being this just consistent, constant touchstone for them, you know, which I think is really good because I'm, you know, it can get very busy and be very hectic. And, you know, a lot of things can be happening at once or a lot of things could be changing at once. And you're very good constant presence there, which I think is a huge benefit to the center. I appreciate hearing that. It's getting a little tricky right now because I'm not physically here as often as I used to be. And I'm trying to find um, people who feel like extensions of myself and checking in with community in the same way. And it it is a bittersweet moment right now because we have more people who are teaching and we have more people who are giving tours and all of those people are amazing. Um, but it's one of the things about growth, right, is that you can't actually have an engaged experience with every single person that comes through. So even to the point now where, um, say, we're adding more midwives to our staff and we have more educators on our staff and more nurses and just support things and all of that, there's this idea you know, as a species, we manage really, really well when we're in groups of about 150 people. Outside of about 150 people, you start dividing into subset groups of other organizations. So it's almost like we're kind of, we're not separating, but now there's becoming a large enough group that we need to have multiple facilitators for these types of experiences. And um, I think that we found some really good people to do it. So we're at a really exciting point right now. Well, and I think that that can play into people's strengths and weaknesses really well, right? So like whatever people can do really, really well, they can help grow in that direction. And if that possibly isn't their strength, then you have other people that can take that on when you have enough staff and it's not like everybody's doing everything all the time. Yes. It's so nice to not have to do everything all the time. But one of the great things about um, 
the birth center. And I mean, this is kind of pulling the veil back a little bit, but we have such a unique group of people that are working here. And the majority of them have had experiences in other healthcare environments. And because they have come from these other environments where they have seen, um, unfortunately, some really sad things that have happened in birth Mm -hmm. and they have seen coercion and um, just experiences that you really are hoping to not have to witness as a healthcare worker than to come into a space where we are, we have the time the first off our appointments are longer. We have a safety net built into just the type of care that we're able to offer. We can only offer care to low risk people, which means we have more flexibility with the way that we can move and talk and even treat people. And we would hope that everyone would be treated with kindness and respect, but that's not always the case. So the folks who are here at the birth center, it almost feels as though they recognize that this is a different experience, not only just in the healthcare that we're providing, but also in in the way that the staff treats each other. Um, And we really all agree that the way that people feels is really important. So um, I don't want to jinx it, but it seems like we have a team here that all has the same mission for how to move forward, which then makes it easy to say things like, oh, wow, we have a lot of laundry. We're going to need some more hands to come downstairs and help fold laundry. And multiple people come and help fold laundry, even if it's not necessarily one of their tasks that is assigned to them. Right, right. Well, and I think that that's really care, like important. And that's why, you know, I always think that you all are delivering like the best healthcare in the region because it's not just, you know, the safety aspect and the time and things like that, but it's also the personality of the crew that has been there that there's a lot of genuine like excitement and respect for the clients and empathy you know and it's and it's not faked like it's it's not it's it's really you can feel it when you walk in the door you know I feel like when you walk in the door like it feels like a big hug and you know I'm past my childbearing age but if I was at that age I would feel that difference like as a person in my first pregnancy, probably, you know, super scared. And you know what I mean? And just like how different that feels, you know, which everybody can choose to do what they want. But I think it's the perfect hybrid uh, between, you know, somebody who maybe doesn't feel like they can do it at home, but also, you know, is looking for something a little bit more I don't know, oomphy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a little bit more warm. And this fuzzy. is a fun word. Oomphy. Yeah. Oomphy. I mean, you know, like more, right. more, like warm and fuzzy. There's, we definitely have the capacity for warm and fuzzy here. And I also think that the warm and fuzzy is possible because we really have all of our um, ducks in a row. Like we understand the safety components of having an out of hospital birth experience. And so we have some reluctant folks who are coming through the door and they see it and it's really pretty. Like the, the birth center is gorgeous when you walk into it. Um, but we know that having a gorgeous space doesn't necessarily mean that people know how to give really, really good care, not only compassionate care and being kind, but really thorough, thoughtful, um, intelligent care. Mm -hmm. So in an emergency, the people know what they're supposed to do. And just because we're in a freestanding birth center doesn't mean that we don't have those skills. So sometimes it's fun to really hone in when I'm giving a tour to really hone in on some of the safety components that we have here for folks who have 
um, interesting questions about what happens in emergencies and what are the tools that we have on hand and what are the additional trainings that we go through. All of that is just as important to us as um, making sure that people understand that your pronouns are important to us. And if you have dietary restrictions, we will note that and make sure that you have food you can eat after you have your baby. And um, who do you want to be present at your birth? And let's talk about all of those things too, because all of those things are a part of it. I do agree with that. Did you always want to be a parent? I was always open to the possibility. I never thought it was a guarantee. So um, I can easily imagine multiple outcomes for myself at any given time. I have a, um, I see it as a, a talent to pre-plan where things could and potentially go. So I could see myself being very, very happy without children. And I could always see myself being happy with children too. At what age of your child do you think you really start parenting them? I'm pausing only because I'm curious if you can clarify what you mean by parenting. So is there a difference between caregiving and parenting? Is there? Well, a I think that's kind of the question is, I guess okay. it's really more of like your perception yeah. of parenting. Like some people say, oh, day one, or as soon as I was pregnant. And other people are like, oh no, more like when I, you know, when they're five. So there's, so that's kind of like, that's the shadow question under the question is like, when do you, think you really start parenting? Like you become a parent or as opposed to maybe a yeah. caregiver, baby keep alive <laughs> Yeah. Again, I think that's part of the paradox because some days the only thing I could do was keep them alive. And on other days I was so in tune with how I realized my actions had impact on future generations through this one moment that I was having with my child. It was sometimes overwhelming mm -hmm. being able to see the potential ripple for what was moving forward. So I, I'm, I guess with that, I would have to say day one. I mean, knowing that just holding my child was an important uh, parenting act. And also some days the only thing that I could do was hold my child and not do anything else that needed to happen as parenting. Sometimes that was the pinnacle of parenting. And sometimes that was like the bare minimum of caregiving. So um, it really, I think it just depended on the day. I have strong opinions about my own personal actions with parenting, but I always hesitate when I talk about parenting because I really believe that everyone has to figure it out for themselves. And I'm sure we'll get into this at a different point, but the lessons that I'm learning from parenting are, it's as much me trying to recognize how are my reactions, responses to my own experiences as a child versus are my reactions a response that I want to give my own child as a part of their childhood to move forward? If that, I don't know if that was clear, but it it's rough. It's real rough sometimes. Well, and I think a lot of it probably also has to do with like how your brain works, you know, and you have a very interesting brain that's doing a lot at the same time. And so, you know, we all have those moments where, oh my God, the gravity of the situation is absolutely amazing. But I don't know if we're always all completely cognizant of it at the exact time it's happening, as mm. opposed to later on saying, oh boy, I hope I did that right for the future because that really was a big deal. 
Yeah. There was a, um, a situation I used, so I didn't, I don't have a, um, how do I say this? I don't have a lot of friends. Like I'm not uh, a person that gathers multiple people in my life. And at certain points in parenthood, it realized that that was a poor choice for myself because I didn't have a lot of people to lean on or that I felt comfortable leaning on or that I felt comfortable asking for help. I'm sure many people would have come, but, um, Oftentimes it meant that it was just me and Harper when she was really young, trying to figure it out as we went along. So I would just start having this monologue with her as we moved through the day of like, okay, this is what we're doing now. And this is what's happening. And then she would have big feelings and I would then have big feelings. And we would just be talking about our big feelings to each other back and forth. And sometimes I think it was brilliant. And sometimes I think looking in from the outside, it probably looked like we were insane, but But, you know, I could also imagine a scenario where like the first thing I thought of when you were saying that was like, wow, maybe I should have done that more when he was like a baby because, you know, maybe I would have felt less lonely, right? Because Mm. you are having an out, you're hearing voices, even if it's your own. It's not the voice in your head, though. It's literally your outside, you know, which I think is really helpful. And, you know, that's one of the questions that's farther down, but, you know, about how important friendships are when your children are babies, and why we strive for people to have people that they're close to when your children are babies, because it is very lonely. It is lonely. I don't know if there was a question in there at this point, but I agree. It is It is lonely. Even when you're completely surrounded by people, the internal monologue and the amount of work that I think culturally is starting to get talked about more with things like um, the fair playbook and emotional intelligence and um, there's another book that I can't think of right now. Like during the pandemic, every, it seemed like rage and anger and, um, emotional, uh, baggage, like the mental load, I think was another word that was being thrown around Mm -hmm. a lot during COVID, um, talking about equal parenting and all sorts of different things for a while. I remember that was like a huge thing that parents were trying to figure out at the same time as raising children. And, um, and homeschooling children, they weren't prepared to homeschool. Oh my goodness. That's like a whole other podcast. But I know yeah, it's absolutely. one of the questions. I'm like, I can't even touch it right now because absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but it, I think even, especially with young children, the amount of active thinking that's going on where I think as a new parent, um, it's this mix between, am I planning and organizing or am I anxious and not really being able to tell the difference? between the two, having some sort of outside support or even a list. Sometimes I would just start listing things off. I was like, oh, well, that's being a little bit ridiculous. That's that's not a real thing that you have to plan for. Um, but trying to figure out what is just me and what is, what is actually a thing that I should be planning for my family or a, a precaution I should be taking for my family. How many diapers do I pack in this diaper bag? Like, how, what kind of snack situation do I need to be prepared for? Mm-hmm. Um, do I have three or four extra sets of clothes in the car? Like what is, what is enough? When do I feel safe that I could tackle any situation that I would be coming forward with? So that was like my first train of thought when I was with young children. And then I morphed a little bit and being prepared felt good. And I like being prepared for those situations. But then I realized that there was a moment in there where 
dealing with the hardship was actually maybe a better lesson for my child at that age. So instead of bringing two or three sets of clothes, maybe we're bringing like an extra set of underwear. But if their pants get wet, then we can talk about, well, what do we need to do if our pants get wet? And how would we dry them? And what are places that we can go to to dry pants? And turning that into a conversation so that instead of passing along, call it planning, call it anxiety. I don't know what it was. (laughs) Instead of passing it along to Harper or to Milo, instead what I'm trying to figure out is like, is there a calm response to this that if I don't show my own um, – I. Hesitate. I don't want to say the word anxiety over and over because I don't really feel Mm -hmm. like I'm an anxious person. But if I can model something different, would that actually be a better lesson in the moment? I agree with that because I feel like there is something to be said, not only for the modeling piece, but also the problem solving piece and how important it is to show our children active problem solving all the time, which is not an easy skill to teach your child as a parent or even yourself. I mean, you know, I always, like, I always try to point out times where, you know, if someone's worried about their child in some way, trying to point out, yeah, but like, look at how they're problem solving. Like, look at how, you know, they can, they can pull the chair over to reach what they want. Do we want them to do that? Possibly not. But look at how smart this kid is that they're actually problem solving and doing it, you know, instead of being like, oh, my God, you know, like, because it it, it, it's a fine line. You're right, because, you know, call it anxiety, call it whatever it is, you know, that piece is real. Like you are responsible for keeping these people safe. I mean, right. You know, for sure. But then it's also like, okay, well, how can we, you know, change the lens and the focus of this and how can I grow in this job? Because the thing is, is that I have to get this person ready for adulting at some point mm-hmm. and doing more problem solving than just how to get the thing I'm not supposed to get. Right. You know, and that's the piece that I find is always, you know, somewhat terrifying, but also very exciting. I agree. I think it is. The older both of my kids get, the um, the more fun. It seems like I, I've been enjoying oh, every so much more step fun. along the way. I wouldn't totally. say I'm like gleeful with every step that's coming through, but it's definitely, it does keep in my mind, it keeps getting better for me. I know some people love the infant stage. Some people love the toddler stage. I think I have they all pre- have their, go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I'm, I'm, I've heard so much dread about preteens and teenagers and maybe it's just that I've had really great examples of people who have already had teenagers around me and they've talked to me about it, but I'm kind of excited for what's happening and like, bring it on. I think it's going to be great. Well, and as somebody who appreciates conversation as I do too, the conversations you can have with your children now are just amazing. You know, the, I I just feel like I remember a friend of mine saying like five to 10 are the best years. And they really truly are in terms of like how much they grow and like the space and shape and how much they need you still. Because after 10, you know, it really does take that shift of them wanting to be with their friends more. Uh, But I agree that like, like he's starting middle school in a few weeks and I'm so excited for him. Like we started talking about like, okay, so if you go to your homeroom and so and you know, your friends aren't in your class, but you have another class and like, you might only have one class with each friend, but you're also going to have all these other people to meet. And it's, it's just, 
like a super exciting way to think about, you know, obviously I have to step back a little bit more, but then at the same time, I get to still be in the background with those conversations about things, Yeah, you know, and he still wants to come to us and that's a great thing. And I hope he will as a teenager too. Yeah. I, my children are both more extroverted than I am. So it's never been a conversation where I'm like, oh, are you having trouble making friends? That's never been a a hardship for us. It's usually, Mm -hmm. oh, you want to have another play date? Oh my gosh. Okay. Here we go. Um, You're dying. (laughs) But the, um, what I 100%, like what you said rang true for me too, is just trying to make sure that it feels like they have a really soft place to land at the end of the day. And I, like being that place that mm-hmm. that feels like a really um helpful transition piece from the five to ten to the okay here we go let's see what's next right because even at the end you know at the end of the day you know if he's near me on the couch with time he is kind of moving over and we you know there's that touchstone or father like, Closer. Close. Okay. Like, yeah like maybe just his knees or maybe just his butt or whatever you know what i mean but yeah. there is that piece of like to the point where like it's some piece of our bodies are touching again and there's like that touchstone piece and maybe I'm just more tuned into it, you know, cause I've had the, all, all the oxytocin and whatever, but I'm like, Oh, this is amazing. Like, and I don't know how long that that's going to last, but you know, we don't even have to be having a conversation. It's just the idea that the closeness is still there, which I think is really nice. And I think that's the part that people really worry about with their teenagers, just, they're not going to feel close to them, mm-hmm. but I truly hope that you know, if he comes to me with questions and conversations or observations, I think that that is very exciting because there's a lot of people who don't want to talk to their parents when they're a teenager. And so I feel like, well, you know, I'll take what I can get. Yeah. Let's check in in a couple of years and see how it's going. We'll have to do, we'll do a reround. Yeah. What is your most embarrassing parenting moment? I don't really feel embarrassment too much, but, um, when Harper was three, I remember going on, We it was some fall festival, you know, where there's like pumpkins are in a pile and mm-hmm. there's like a huge pit of corn. And then there's that inflatable thing that you can jump on. And Harper wanted me to go and jump on it with her. And if anyone else has had a child, I'm assuming most of your listeners are in that category, there's a good possibility that your pelvic floor has weakened. So Harper and I go and we jump on this and I totally pee my pants. Like like full on pee him. Like full on pee, like cannot control it. And um again, it it didn't feel embarrassed. I just realized all of the planning that I had done for this outing, absolutely none of it was for myself. Exactly. I never thought I had to bring I, another pair of pants. <laughs> I didn't. I don't have an extra pair of pants for myself. I don't have extra underwear for myself. The <laughs> only saving grace was that I had a long sleeve shirt because it was the fall. So I could tie it around my waist. And we had this moment where we had to get off and Harper's like, no, I'm not done. I was like, okay, Harper, um, I need to level with you right now. Do you remember when sometimes like Harper was learning to use the bathroom. She's three. So she's in underwear. So she gets it. But I was like, you know how you have accidents sometimes and you don't make it to the bathroom. And she says, yeah, I was like, I just had an accident and I peed my pants. And she was, she like immediately went into like, oh, okay, what are we going to do? Where do, where do we need to go? <laughs> this is my problem solving right so, here. How are we going to fix this? Yeah. 
she was like, I'll hold your hand. Do you need to go to the bathroom? So she was very sweet and she helped me. You know, we went to one of those fantastic porta potties that are always available. Um, and then we went home and it was okay, but it definitely was a moment where I had to stop myself because I can't tell you how many times in all of that work to plan and make sure that my kids were okay. I'm quite horrible at making sure that I'm okay. Oh, for sure. It's funny. I was just going through stuff in the back of my car and I found a pair of pants in the back of my car, which I'd put in there forever ago because I do home visiting and you just never know, right? Like what if you had your period and went through or whatever. And I was like, what are these for, for a second? And then I knew, but my son was like, why are you carrying extra pants? And I was like, I don't know. You know, mom, she's a bag lady. She just takes everything. (laughs) I love it. It's, it's a life-saving habit. So thank you past Lisa. Yeah. Lisa. Well, and it's funny because I've obviously never had to use them because I forgot that they were even there and I would have been in a panic because that's the problem is then I forget that they're there. So then something does happen and I don't even realize that I've planned for myself. What do you see as the biggest trend in parenting right now? I think snooze are a big trend, but Mm. I think they've been around for a while, at least for new parents um, that are really concerned about sleep. I see snooze being talked about a lot still. Um, It also seems like tongue ties feel like a trend, but I really hesitate to dive into tongue ties just because uh, I think some of them are absolutely real and need to have support. And I also know that there are a lot of people talking about tongue ties that don't have any business talking about tongue ties. Um, but I'm not a lactation professional, so that's not my world. To and that's in. a whole nother podcast too. That's a whole nother podcast. Um, and I don't, I, I'll just stop there because I, I think that's enough. Hmm. Okay. I do agree with, um, the tongue tie piece is just that, um, the only thing I find unfortunate about it is that it reduces your job to just that, just a physical assessment as a lactation consultant, which I think way more goes into it. It would just be like comparing that to like a midwife and saying like, oh, well, they just catch babies. Well, no, they obviously do way more than that. Um, and I find it's like that oversimplification of all kinds of professions that are actually, it's just a shame because it is nice to actually recognize the nuances of other ways that these professionals do help. Um, But that's, you know, it's really hard because that's what's online. And so that's the first thing they're coming at. And I just never liked being in the business of telling somebody right off the bat, something's wrong with their baby. Like, I just feel like, you know, it's just, I don't know. Yeah. I think nuance is a good part. I think for both of those, like understanding sleep dynamics and also understanding feeding dynamics and there's, it, it, it's what's there's a saying out there like anyone who talks about never and always isn't really someone that you should be taking advice from because oh, wow. that's not the way that the world that's works. A, that's a great way to say it. Right. Because there's all kinds of things in between, you right. know, but I feel like, you know, it, there's a, there's a lack of mistrust of most professionals anyway. Like that's, mm-hmm. you know, what I kind of see. And so um, I find it, unfortunate because I don't think most people in most fields, even if it's accounting, went into that for unalteristic reasons. You know what I mean? Maybe they're not perfect. Maybe they have bad days. Maybe they make mistakes like everybody else. Mm -hmm. But I don't feel like 
and maybe this is just me being naive, but I don't feel I was going to say, do you think that you're an optimist? I know maybe because I don't think most people enter most fields with the idea of doing harm and especially not in the medical and medical adjacent fields. You know, I mean, there's ethics that you're supposed to have. Right. Um, and you know, anyway, that is a whole nother podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You already talked about what your children have taught you about being a parent. So I guess my final question for you is what is your biggest parenting advice to share with new parents? Man, you've got some really zing. You got some zingers, Lisa. I know. I spent um, a lot of time on these questions. Yeah, they're really thoughtful. I appreciate that. Um, every piece of advice that I have, again, it feels like context is so important and nuance is so important. And um, I'm now so far away from being a new parent what I'm afraid of is the things that I say sound like, you know, the lady in the grocery store, oh, appreciate it because the time goes so fast, which doesn't ever feel good. No one feels good when that's being said to them. Especially on like the worst day ever. Yeah. So I really want to hesitate from putting myself in a situation where I come across as that lady because that's, that's not great. Um, I think if I were to go back and talk to myself, how about that? Could we change the question? Sure. So it's not other new parents, but it's just strictly myself. Okay. So brand new postpartum Ariel, what would you brand tell her? Postpartum area. I had a significant inability to be able to voice when I actually needed help and what that thing was. It felt internally to me like I was already a failure if I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing for my child. So then voicing it out loud was one area where I felt shame. Then having someone who maybe needed clarification meant that I wasn't communicating it appropriately, which then also made me feel like I had to do more work and try harder and I was already tired. And then what if they didn't help me? I had like presupposed all of these horrible things that were going to happen when I was already at my lowest and needed to support. And in my mind, I had worked up this um, fake scenario to the to an extent that I just never asked for help from anybody. So if other people feel like that, I would hope that there is someone that you have available to you, whether it's a close friend or... Um, a partner. I do think partners are getting more aware, which is a nice trend that I'm seeing, at oh, least for here sure. at the birth center, um, or a therapist or a journal, anything where like writing it down on a piece of paper and giving the piece of paper to someone. So if you have to physically remove yourself from seeing their expression when they read it, but actually being able to have the opportunity to get it out of you and trust that it will be received by someone and that they will get you help. Um, It wasn't until I had Milo almost six years later and just happened upon a person who became almost now like a sister to me and who has moved into my house and who lives with me 
to have a person that I felt like I could really fall apart in front of. And it's not that I fall apart, but it was the feeling like I could fall apart if I needed to. Right. Exactly. If, if if needed to, there, there wasn't a floor that person was going to catch you. Yeah. And a lot of things change between Harper and Milo. Um, but for first time Ariel, I just want to acknowledge that that was where I was at and I got through it and she's amazing. I'm, I think I joke with my kids and I'm like, you have no idea how hilarious and phenomenal your mother is. Like, she's really incredible. Like you're going to look back and you're going to be like, wow, my mom is legendary. Amazing. I like psych myself up to them because they really don't have any context for what it took to get us to this point. And part of that is my own fault because I, um, what's the, about a boy line? Like I am an Island. I, Right. Although I, you know, I was just thinking though, but like you are their whole world. So like until they're truly out in it, you know what I mean? Like in really experiencing other people's parents, you know, like on a regular, they really can't gauge just how phenomenal you are. Yes. (laughs) Which of course you are phenomenal. You know what I mean? But like, they'll appreciate like, oh, wow. You know, when someone says I came out to my family and they kicked me out and your child being able to say, Oh, my parents would never do that. Or, right. you know, I I was never anything but myself around my parents and completely expected in whatever way, you know, and I was completely respected for that and accepted, you know, and it's and you know, I always just want to make sure that he understands like what a privilege it was for me to raise him. And because I think he's a great kid. And, you know, I'll take some of the credit and I'll give my husband some of the credit, but I think a lot of it too, is just his personality, you know, like he's got a good kiddo. Everybody's got a good kiddo in there. I needed to get a little bit of a reality check. There's a couple of people I follow on Instagram and I apologize because I cannot remember their account names, but there's a lady out there right now who's doing some parenting coaching and she calls the kiddos spicy ones. Have you Heard of no, this. but it's funny because I just had somebody calling their own kids spicy on the podcast and we were joking yeah. about it. And it's it's it feels like a really kind term to say mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, well, they're 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 behaving a little bit different than what other people expect them to behave. And it it's just kind of changing the landscape and uh language and dynamic, which I um I always appreciate when the language changes too, because I think that if that is too sticky and it stays the same, that it's not reflective of the cultural change that's happening as well. But I don't know. I, I hope that answers your question. I mean, the idea that like, people have a community sounds ideal to me. I didn't have a community until my kids were older. Now, what you were talking about, having other parents around my kiddo, that really feels like one of the greatest gifts for me is we have multiple handfuls of people now because of our choice of school and how our values align that I don't always have to be the adult that is spouting the lessons, right? I can I can actually stand back sometimes now and just be the soft landing place. Mm-hmm. And they are going into other people's families and they're seeing how they parent and they're giving positive feedback to my kids and they're giving firm but kind correction to my kids. And then they come back and they realize, oh, yes, this all makes sense because I'm getting this message from multiple people. So there was some statistic somewhere about um, you only have so much influence over your kids and it's actually the parents of other people's children. 
the other adults in their lives that will impact them um, almost to a further extent than you will at a certain point. And mm. I'm going to have to go back and look so that I can have all of the sightings correct if you decide to put this in your episode. But I was going to say, send it to me and I'll put it that in the really show notes struck, for sure. Yeah. It really struck a chord with me where it's like, who am I choosing to be around my kids when I'm not around my kids? It's interesting. I have a good friend here who has a tight group. There's six of them who have all seen their kids go from kindergarten to now high school. And each parent group is slightly different. There's been divorces and introductions of other adults and things like that. Um, and it's interesting to think, I wonder, you know, because they, they are, are, they all are very different in like how they parent. And it must be interesting I don't know how you study that. Like, how do you, where's the, like, how do you get the evidence to study how much, because it's all going to be based on what they relay to you, right? Like how influencing other people were to you, or is it just something that, you know, the things that your parents taught you were reinforced consistently by watching these other parents, which may or may not have been the same as you. And therefore you heard their voice in your head, right? Because I still hear my parents' voices in my head, right? And so I would give them, maybe not give them credit to that because I actually saw another parent doing something, you know, but it, does that make sense? I can hear. Yeah, it makes sense to me. I think part of it is just the difference between the different types of research. And I know that storytelling is important and it almost in my mind, like I'll go and look for it because I think it is valuable. and. Worst case scenario, I totally made it up. Let's let's put that out there. Let's let's just let's make the possibility that I can't find this article that I read. And instead, I have created this story where the other people in my child's life I know will have a great impact on them. So I have to be really conscious of the people that I even if that's what the reality is, which it's not. But worst case scenario, if right. I'm making this up, I still think it's a really valuable thing to be cognizant of and appreciative of these other really amazing adults that are around my kids too. And it's funny because it's your kids who make the friends that put you around the other parents and put themselves around the other parents. You know what I mean? At least this is what I'm thinking of in this one scenario. These kids all became friends and therefore then the larger parents did, you know, the parent group. Which that, I'm sure for most people that's true. Our friend group is a, a bit more dynamic and a large part of that has come because of my husband and his friend group. He has been friends with the same core group of people from some elementary school, some middle school, high school, college, and um, it's now 25 plus years as the shortest amount of time that he's been mm -hmm. friends with these people in excess to 40 years of friendship with mm -hmm. some of these other kiddos. So we have um, many childless adults around us who think our kids are really cool. <laughs> and we're very lucky to have other childless adults show our kids that there are multiple ways to live their lives and show our kids respect from a very young age and participate in the things that they thought they were cool. Um, so we're very lucky in that aspect too. I think it sounds like you're very lucky too. Well, we are out of time. Thank you for joining us for episode 16 of Chicagoland Parenting Stories. And thank you to our guest, Ariel Swift of the Birth Center of Chicago. Thank you, Ariel. Thanks, Lisa.